0: Hey, Vineyard Northwest, it's Wilson here, a.k.a. Vandalori's favorite son. I'm in Champaign-Urbana right now at Vineyard Central doing the training course for the School of Kingdom Ministry, which I will be leading this fall, starting September 14th. I cannot tell you guys how incredible this course is going to be. Putty Putman, the director and teacher and creator, founder of the course, has been doing the training with us this week. And it has been blowing my mind and encouraging me in such deep, profound ways. I just cannot wait for this to start back at Vida Northwest. It's going to be a life-changing course, whoever takes it. It's going to be life-changing for our church. It's going to tear the roof off of Vida Northwest and open us up to reaching out to our community in a way we never saw before or that we never even thought was possible. So I just really encourage you guys, if you haven't turned in your application yet, if you haven't grabbed an application, Go back there and get one. Talk to Shauna or talk to my dad about it. They'll give you lots of good information. This course is going to be awesome. See you guys in a couple of weeks. I love you and I miss you.
1: Aww. <laughs> What's up, Vineyard? How's it going? How you guys doing? Man, I love you people. Ha. <laughs> Tyler's right. This service, you guys are full of energy. I love it. Okay. If you don't know me, my name is Luke. I get to work with young adults here at the Vineyard. I love my job; it is definitely my dream job. Before I, before we dive into what we're doing today, I want to uh, make all the young adults in here aware of a certain resource. Um, if you're a young adult in here in this room and you have not, uh, we haven't gotten to meet yet or talk or have a conversation. I'd love to talk with you and meet you. Come find me after service at some point, or uh, you know, if you're a leader at house group, just stand up real quick. Or come talk to any of these people, they uh, will know. Also, I have information about our two groups that meet on Thursday and Fridays. One is, uh, this red card is for Friday, this green one is for Thursday. I've placed uh, a stack of each on each side of the stage. So come grab those at some point today if you'd like more information about that. And turn your Bibles to Colossians 2. Colossians 2 is where we're going to be this morning. Before that, I just want to share a quick testimony. Something cool that happened to me yesterday. So yesterday, uh, it was probably about, um, it was in the morning, early in the morning. And I was spending time with the Lord. I do that every morning. Um, And as I was sitting there, I was just uh, praying and asking God to give me new experiences and whatever. And something I should tell you before I go any further is that I have this stack of index cards on my desk in my room. And I use these index cards to write down scriptures that I want to memorize or other things. And so I have this stack of probably about 200 or so of them right there in the center of my desk. That stack was there three months ago when I went to England with my family. I guess it's more like four months ago now. And... Uh, I've just been using them ever since. But when I went to England in March, two of my really good friends, Amanda and Jen, came into my room and like put up all these notes in my room on index cards. Like, we miss you and we love you, whatever, all that. And they also wrote on some and hid them in my stack. So as I've been going through them each day... every once in a while, every month or so, I get like a little surprise, a little note from a friend. Um, And usually they are something just encouraging. Luke, we love you. Luke, we miss you. Luke, you're awesome. Like, yeah, I'm awesome. Cool. Uh, And I got one of those notes yesterday. But it wasn't like those other ones I was just saying. This note said, pray for eight people today. And so... If I'm being totally honest, the first thing I did was just go like, oh, I'm really comfortable right here at my desk, sipping my coffee, you know, just so delicious. The last thing I want to do is go out right now and pray for people. But I took that index card as a word from the Lord. I really believe it was. And so I'm like, okay, God, if this is the day you wanted me to find this secret hidden message from one of my friends, to go out and pray for people, then I'm going to do it. And so I left my comfy desk chair and coffee and went straight to Walmart to pray for eight people, like the card said. So I prayed for the first six and nothing incredibly miraculous or profound happens. The first person I prayed for needed healing. I prayed she wasn't healed, but you know, how many of you know that, uh, the main purpose in doing this praying for people stuff isn't to see miracles or get stories. It's just to love people. That's all we're doing. We're just loving people um, the way Jesus did. And that's my number one goal. So I wasn't too discouraged or anything by that. I just want to love people. Uh, and then I ask a woman, hey, random question. Do you, uh, does your, is, do you have a daughter who works in cosmetology? She's like, no. I'm like, okay, strike two. Here we go. <laughs> but again, we're just loving people. It's all about love. And so I wasn't too discouraged. Then I prayed for six and I'm in line to buy some shampoo. And I turn around and see this woman behind me with a cart. And the thought back pain goes through my head. And so I ask her, hey, random question. Do you have any pain in your back right now? And she gave me what I like to call the look, that kind of like look of surprise, that that like that look of shock. And it's like, yeah, I do have pain in my back. How'd you know that? I'm like, well, you know, God loves you a whole lot and he loves you enough to tell me you have that pain so that he can heal it to just to love you and take you into a deeper relationship with him. And so I said, can I pray for you? And she's like, yeah, sure, I guess. And so I just prayed in Jesus name, back pain, get out. And afterwards she's like, oh, thank you so much. And I was like, well, hold on, try it out real quick. See how it feels. And so she like does this thing and you know, there's the look again. And <laughs> she's like, well, the pain's gone. And I'm like, the pain's gone. Sweet, you just got healed. It's a miracle. And she's like, well, I need to walk around first. And so I'm like, okay, it's fine. You can walk around. So uh, I'll take that as a healing. And then the eighth person was my cashier. And when I saw her, I got this like weird sense, this weird sensation. It's called. It's called a sympathy pain. It's where God kind of puts pressure on a certain part of your body to like show you what this person's pain is. So I felt this like, temporary pressure on my ankle that was like there for a second and then released. And so I was like, okay, God. Um, and I asked her a random question. Do you have any pain in your ankle? And she gave me the look. Yeah, actually I do have pain in my ankle. And what was cool is that the person I just prayed for was like behind me, seeing this, seeing me do this with another person. So that was, I thought that was cool, but she's like, yeah, I do have pain in my ankle. And I was like, okay, well, God loves you a whole lot and he doesn't want you to be in pain. Can I pray for it to be healed? She said, yeah. And I prayed for her and, one prayer and God just completely healed her ankle right there on the spot, and uh, it was just yeah, it was really cool. So thank you, Amanda and Jen, for hiding me those notes. <laughs> that uh, wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't gotten that yesterday. Anyways, just cool story. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Colossians two is where we are. I said we. Yeah, you should be turned there. Colossians two. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into this. So, Lord, we invite more of your presence here. Holy Spirit, just come illuminate our minds to understand what you are saying to us this morning, what you're saying to me this morning. We just love you, Lord. We just love you. Come be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in Colossians 2. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 23. But before that, let me take some time to explain some of the context here, what's going on in this chapter. So, the book of Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was one of the greatest missionaries and Christian leaders. Of the first century. Paul planted hundreds of churches, led thousands of people to the Lord, and actually is responsible for having authored about half of the New Testament bookwise. So Paul is an important big dude, and Paul is writing to the church in Colossae. Colossae was a city in a region called Asia Minor at the time. And Asia Minor is that's it's like modern-day Turkey. So It was primarily a Gentile city. And Paul is writing to them to correct what scholars have called the Colossian heresy. So the Colossians were uh, believing this wrong teaching, this wrong belief. And it was affecting them negatively. And Paul was writing to them to address that and tell them to return to the true gospel that they had originally received. And Paul in chapter 1, he raves about how healthy the Colossian church began and how fruitful it was. But now the people of these church, they're starting to get influenced by this teaching, this, this incorrect way of thinking that was coming from a group of people called the Judaizers, or they're also called the circumcision faction. They were a group of Jewish Christians. They were Christians. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. However, they also believed that anyone who wanted to receive true salvation needed both Jesus and to keep the Mosaic Law, the 613 rules and regulations in the first five books of the Old Testament, in the Torah. And so they were teaching that, that Christ alone isn't enough that you need Christ and the law that you need Jesus and the 613 rules. And so they were having, these judaizers, they were coming from Jerusalem, and they were having a negative influence on the Colossians. And Paul is writing to them to correct that way of thinking and refocus them on the gospel. And with that said, let's dive into the passage verse 16 through 23, starting at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in matters of food or drink, or of observing festivals, new moons or Sabbaths, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, Inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with the growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. All right, y'all got that? We're done. See you next week. <laughs> yeah, some pretty thick stuff right there. Let's, let's go ahead and dive into it. But before that, let me, let me say one thing. If you really knew me, you would know that I was a part of the Navigators a College Ministry at Miami University when I was attending there. And I'm so grateful for the Navigators. They taught me what it, how to study the Bible. They taught me how to memorize scripture how to spend time in the word every day. And I just cherish those three things in my faith. And as we were learning how to study the Bible, we were learning what was called the inductive Bible study method. And one uh, kind of aspect of this is whenever in a passage of scripture, you see the word, therefore we were trained always to ask a question right off the bat. What's the therefore therefore. So, We're going to answer that before we kind of talk about what we just read. Because the passage we just read out loud started with the word, therefore. So, what was therefore, therefore? Well, in verses, we just read verses 16 through 23. In verses 9 through 15, Paul gives just the straight up gospel. The stuff we have been going through for the whole summer. And in my opinion, it's one of the best, most amazing accounts of the gospel in the Bible. I'd encourage you to read it um, at sometime. Not right now, because I'm preaching, and you need to listen to me. <laughs> uh, I'd encourage you to read that sometime. Uh, and so he, he just preaches the gospel to them, and then, therefore, so because of the gospel, do this. Let's do the quickest review of this summer of the series, the gospel of the kingdom that we've been in so far. So, here we go. God loves you. Everyone say, God loves me. me. You have assurance of salvation. Say, assurance of salvation. salvation. God wants relationship with you. Say, relationship. Relationship. Your sinful nature died on the cross. Say, "I I died. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Say, no condemnation. You have been adopted into God's family. Say adopted. Not. You are a joint heir with Christ. Say joint heir. joint heir. You need not work to gain God's approval. Say not by works. Not by works. And God is good. Let's all say, God is good. God is good. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Told you, quickest review. Okay. So, all of that, all the truths of the gospel, those amazing truths. All of that, therefore, and then what we just read. So, let's go ahead and take a closer look at verse 16 and 17 now. I'll reread it, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you in matters of food or drink, or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul says here, do not let anyone judge you to the Colossians. And he says that because these Judaizers, these group of Jewish Christians, were judging them. They were telling them, the the Judaizers were telling the Colossians, that they could not have fullness of salvation unless they followed these certain rules and regulations. The ones that Paul gives there are keeping Sabbaths, food and drink regulations, new moons, and festivals. But it really goes to all 600 and 13. And the analogy that Paul uses to explain the error in the Judaizers' thinking is that of a shadow and then the substance which is casting the shadow. So let's break that down for a second. Imagine you are 16 and it's your birthday and you're about to receive a gift from your parents, but you're not sure what it is. And so they take you outside and you're kind of standing behind a building. And they say, wait here, we're going to bring your gift to you. And you're already starting to suspect you got those butterflies. Okay, I bet this is going to be a car. Please be a car. Please be a car. You know. <clears throat> and you're waiting. All of a sudden, from, a, from the other side of the building, you start to see this shadow being cast. And it's moving towards you. And, man, that looks a whole lot like a convertible car, doesn't it? And you, uh, you're just fixated on this shadow because you're eagerly waiting what is to come. And you're even looking at it closely to see like, if you can make out what the make and model is of the car. Or uh, you know what, yeah, what it looks like and its shape. Is it a Mustang? Is it a Corvette? Is it a BMW? What kind of car is this? You're fixated on that shadow. And then the car emerges and you actually see it. And what do you know? It's a BMW. And you're just overjoyed and excited... Let me ask you all a question. Once you see the car come around the bend, are you still fixated on the shadow? Are you still looking at the shadow, trying to figure out what the car looks like? No, right? That would be ridiculous. You are looking at the car. You're looking at that which was casting the shadow. And you see, this is what the relationship between the law and Jesus was. The law was only a shadow of the coming Messiah. The 613 rules were only meant to foreshadow Jesus. He is the gift that God is giving us. The law and the re- those regulations were the shadow. And this plays out in a couple ways. For example, the Sabbath day, the Jews were ordered to keep a strict 24-hour day Sabbath at a certain time during the week in order to rest. But when Jesus came, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You don't need this 24 hour period anymore. I am the one who will give you rest. The Sabbath day was the shadow of Jesus, the bringer of eternal rest for our souls. This also plays out in the role of the law in general. So, how many of you know that the 613 rules were given to the Jews so that they would look differently from the nations around them? God wanted his people to look different to think differently, to act differently, to be different in every way, to be set apart from the nations around them. And how many of you know that set apart means holy? God was making his nation holy. Now that Christ has come, however, we don't need to keep rules and regulations to be holy. We are holy because of Jesus in us. You see, the 613 rules, they were a shadow of the Savior that was to come. And what Paul is saying here in verse 16 and 17 is, look, Colossians, you had it right the first time. Don't take your eyes off of Christ, off of the substance. Don't start looking at the shadow again. That's so ridiculous. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the only one you need for salvation. Is this making sense? Are we getting this? Okay, good. If we're not, someone come up here and whisper in my ear or something. Okay. So, the whole, the, uh, the Old Testament law, it was fulfilled in us by Christ. It's totally fulfilled. And the law was a shadow of Jesus, which was to come. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit shorter this morning than usual. All I want to do now is look at one more verse, verse 23, and pull a couple of observations out of it. We just read 16 and 17. We have 18 through 23 left, but 18 through 22 kind of all just like builds up to verse 23. So I just want to take a look at verse 23 again. And... I'm going to read, like, a couple verses before it. So just listen to me, and then you'll see verse 23 come up on the screen. But here we go. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These are matters, this is verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, The appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Everyone say no value. They are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So what's Paul saying here? First thing he's saying here is this, I think. Keeping rules alone are of no value in conquering our lingering sinful desires a rule in and of itself cannot help us overcome those lingering sinful desires that are still in our heart and i remember when i first learned about this again i was in a navigator's bible study we were studying colossians 2 and this verse came up and we were young men some of us were dating And so the example that we were using to kind of make this passage practical was how to honor the Lord with our physical relationships with the people we were dating. So we were talking about that, and I read this verse, which said that rules are of no value against conquering sin. And it didn't make sense to me at first. I was thinking in my mind, okay, so if I'm dating someone, and we set a rule that we are not going to go further than this point physically... And then we live by that rule. How am I not overcoming the sin? It didn't make sense to me in my mind. Then I realized that I've been thinking wrongly about this deal the whole time. You see, God isn't so concerned with controlling our behavior as He is with transforming our hearts and transforming our minds. God doesn't want us to have these burning, raging, sinful desires and just kind of restrain them until we die. No, he wants to change our desires, to change our heart, to change our mind, to focus us on him. And keeping rules in and of themselves cannot do that. In fact, keeping rules, all they serve to do is increase the, the temptation and increase the desires. And this was the plague of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Man, the Pharisees, they were so good at keeping the rules They had a rule for every day of the week. They were so good at keeping those rules, but within their hearts was still hatred, was still sin and lust and greed. They still had all these desires in their heart. And obviously we see from their example that keeping the rules wasn't enough for them to conquer those desires. So that's the point. That's that's the major takeaway from this verse. Keeping rules... Don't conquer our sinful desires. And so what does? That's the next point I want to pull out. It's this. Our good behavior must flow out of our love for Jesus. It can't be any other way. We cannot behave well in order to prove our love to God. That is a game that does not work. If you're trying that, I want to, just, I want to invite you to take hold of the freedom of the gospel this morning. So let me give an illustration to um, demonstrate this point. I have a relationship that I adore and I cherish. It brings me so much joy. I absolutely love and adore and cherish my golden retriever, Sandy. She is such a beautiful dog. So cute. I love her so much. <laughs> and... Wow, she's a great dog. She's the best dog. And I know everyone says that, but she really is. Ask any of these people right here. They'll confirm. She's the best. So cute. So awesome. And whenever I come home to my parents' house, I open up the door, and Sandy's ears perk up. And she sees me, and she bolts over to me, tail wagging a million miles per hour, you know. And I just start petting her and hugging her and holding her and and kissing her. And she's licking my hands and just loving on her because I just love my dog, Sandy. So how does that relate to what I just said? Here's the thing. I don't walk into my house with a rule in my head. Okay, I'm going to, when I see Sandy, pet her for 30 seconds and and hold her for about a minute, maybe a minute 15. um, And, you know, let her lick my hands for 30 seconds. And no, I just do those things because I love her. I pet her. I hold her. I I do those things because I love her, not because I have a rule. Or how many of you husbands have rules in your minds? Okay, I'm going to hug my wife 50 times this month and kiss her 30 times and do the dishes every three days and make the bed every week. And yeah, some wives are like, those rules don't sound too good. (laughs) No, right? We don't do those things because we have rules for them, we do those things because we love the person. And the same has to be true for Jesus. We have our good behavior toward our our works, all that has to flow out of our love for him. But I'm afraid that sometimes we get tricked into believing that we should have a relationship with the rules, not a relationship with Jesus. And we put these rules up on a pedestal Because we start off trying to want to honor God, but all of a sudden, these rules become an idol in our lives. And we're no longer serving God, we're serving rules. We're no longer loving Jesus, we're loving rules. And sometimes these rules can be good things. But we can't let them be that which determines our behavior. Jesus alone, love for him, out of that has to be our good works. Does that that make sense? Okay, good, cool. Last thing, going off of that, our top priority in life has to be, has to be to fall more in love with Jesus. That's going to be the only way that we see any kind of spiritual growth, any kind of sinful, lingering sinful desires being conquered, any kind of victory. It has to come out of us falling more in love with Jesus. So how do we do that? Let me just give you two pieces of advice on I think, ways that we can fall in love with Jesus more. And then, uh, that'll be it. We'll worship. First thing, how to fall more in love with Jesus. Spending time with him in the word daily. Man, that's so critical for us as believers. I've heard a quote a bunch of times. I'll say it to you all. We lose the fear of God in 24 hours. What that means is, usually, after 24 hours of spending time with him, we start to revert back into our old ways of thinking, our old ways of behaving, our old ways of acting. You see, for me, I have my daily time with the Lord in the morning. That's not the right time to have it. That's just when I have it. And it's just kind of like refocuses me for the day. I just kind of I just refocus myself. Okay, yeah, this is the person I want to be. These are the decisions I want to make. This is how I want to love. This is what I want to do. Not to mention, I just love Jesus. And it's just awesome spending time with him. Like, it's fun. I love spending time with Jesus. Good. <laughs> Do you all love Jesus? Good. Yeah. So, we have a resource for you. If you will, this is a, a Nav 3, four, 7 Minutes with God. And that brings up a good point. I have a, I have a friend who, whenever he tries to go adopt a new spiritual discipline, he, like, goes way overboard. So if it's like spending time with guys, okay, I'm going to spend two hours a day in the Word, an hour in prayer, and if praying for people. I'm going to pray for 20 people a day, and usually this person will do like do that for a couple of days and then kind of just fizzle out. You know, how many of us can identify with that? Yeah, just like going overboard. My exhortation to you, it, wow, that was a religious word. My advice to you, <laughs> don't know where that came from. <laughs> My advice to you is spend five minutes a day. That's all. I know some of us are super busy and the thought of adding another responsibility, another commitment is kind of scary. Just five minutes a day is all it takes. And when you go for three weeks, eventually that will become a habit and no longer will you be tacking that onto your schedule, but it'll be ingrained inbuilt built in your schedule, kind of like brushing your teeth. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't think consciously at night, okay, I need to set my alarm enough time so I can brush my teeth, you know, I just do it. And that's how it is with spending time with the Lord too. Spending time with God is so crucial. And then second one is Christian community. Man, we have to have Christian community. And that's more than just coming to church. We have to have brothers and sisters who will encourage us, who will pick us up when we've fallen, who will motivate us to keep going, and then who will challenge us and who will rebuke us when we need it. We have to have that. We were not meant to do this thing alone. Amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> <clears throat> Feels like a as time as any to end. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And let's just take this next however long. Let's just fall in love with Jesus during worship. Can we do that? Yeah. Let's just fall more in love with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to fall more in love with you. We just together, as a united body, just declare in agreement that we will be a people who loves you above all else. We will love you above all else. So come, Holy Spirit. Start to work on our hearts and our minds even now. We love you. We adore you. You're worth everything to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's all stand. I'll invite, let's, let's come forward for worship. I want to, yeah, if this is not just for young adults. This is fun. Seriously, it's so much fun. Come on up, all people. And you know what? If you've been thinking for a while, you know, I think I might want to go up. Today's your invitation. Come on up. It's going to be awesome. Okay, let's worship.